Well, good morning, Oakwood. Glad that you are here this morning and just want to warmly welcome you. Uh, this is part five in the last installment of a series that uh, we've had going for uh, several weeks now called Hometown. Before we get into that this morning, I just want to tell you a little bit about what's going to be going on next weekend right here at Oakwood. We're going to be celebrating 40 years of ministry here as a church and I just want to talk to you a little bit about the weekend and what that, what that looks like and uh, why it's important that you be here. Um, it's been a real encouragement to me over the last several weeks as I've gotten emails and talked to people online and on the phone. Um, how many people say, you know what, that is why my family walks with the Lord today is because of some of the work and some of the people at Oakwood Christian Church. And uh, they have uh, shared just story after story about um, where, where they've come to Jesus and how they've come to Jesus uh, through the ministries here. And so we're just going to celebrate next week and what God has done. I think it's important that we, we do that. We live in a time and a culture where uh, they kind of people want to, you know, forget about the, fa- forget about the past and we're just going to look forward to what's, what's in the future. But I think sometimes it's good to turn to look back and to celebrate what God is doing and what he has done in so many lives. And it's good to see you out there. Good morning. So that is awesome. So I felt like I was talking to myself that whole time. So, hey, but uh, one thing that's cool uh, too is that Saturday at four o'clock we're having a reception. It's going to be right over here in the Oak, and we're having you know cake and 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 trays of food, and going to tell some stories there. It's four o'clock next Saturday. If you're planning on attending that, if you could let us know by marking your card, that would be the physical card that's in, in front of you that you're going to drop in the offering plate later. Just write on there RSVP and a number. RSVP ten because you're going to bring a bunch of friends with you, or RSVP your family, or you know your grandparents are coming in from out of town, they're going to join you. Uh, just, just so we know numbers for that, we don't want to you know, buy cake and food for 800 and, and, and only 200 show up, and so that will just help us for planning for that. The lunch on Sunday, everything is taken care of, covered. There's going to be moonwalks for kids. Uh, we're, we're hoping to do an inside-outside thing. We'll see how the weather uh, cooperates, but we'll be over in the oak for that. And that's right after the second service next Sunday. And so we invite you to be a part of that as well. Um, again, the whole weekend, we're just going to celebrate what God has done. Uh, we're ha- we have Tim Harlow coming to speak next week. Uh, something that I learned uh, this week that I did not know before about Tim was Tim was one of the first uh, scholarship uh, recipients for Bible college from Oakwood uh, back in the early 80s. He was one of the first ones that got a scholarship. So we paid for part of his schooling to go to Ozark Christian College through our missions giving program, and, and it is amazing to see the fruit of his life um, as he'll be uh, preaching and sharing with us next week about his little church in, in uh, Chicago that runs about 9,000 on a weekend. So uh, Tim's going to bless you. Another cool thing that, that's happening next weekend is Dan Harlow, his dad, who was the senior minister at Davis Park when Oakwood was planted back in 1978, he's actually going to be here uh, with us as well. And so we're just going to really just rejoice in the work that God has done uh, through, uh, through Oakwood Christian Church next week. So I invite you to be a part of that. Also, it's a great time to invite others to come. Um, there'll, be a, there'll be a whole lot of people here, and they might see someone they recognize, and I know you will too. And again, we're excited to have uh, so many people from even out of state traveling in uh, to be here for kind of a homecoming weekend. So uh, again, if you can just let us know if you're planning on attending Saturday, like I said, Sunday, we we know what to plan on there because of church services, uh, but um, if you can help us with the Saturday number, that'd be great by letting us know that you're going to attend. So uh, great, great time to be a part of God's family. You know, his, his uh, marching orders to us is called the Great Commission. It's Matthew uh, chapter 28 in the Bible, verses 19 and 20. And if you want to know what, what does it mean when I'm a Christian, what am I supposed to be about? What is my life 
supposed to be about. When I come to Jesus Christ and I, I accept Him as my Lord and Savior and I accept His, His free uh, gift of grace, what, what do I need to be doing? I want to invite you to look that up if you don't know that verse by heart. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. You can look that up in the app or look it up in your Bible. And I want you to understand that these are some of the final words before Jesus leaves the earth. These are, these are some of his parting words, his parting statements. And I imagine that the disciples and everybody that was around him, they were hanging on his every word because they knew that this is going to be really important, whatever he says here. And this is what he says right there at the end of Matthew's gospel. He said, therefore, and he had just made a statement that all authority in heaven and on earth have been given unto me. And he said this, he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. You see, that's our marching orders as Christians. That's what God has called us to do. The command of the Great Commission is to make disciples. And, and, then, and he even gives us the how in there. He, you know, make disciples. Well, how? How, Lord? Go. I want you to Go. A lot of times we think of go as, hey, go here, or go there, go to a special area, go to a special place, go to church camp, go, go, go to the mission field. Uh, but, but actually what Jesus is meaning there is, hey, as you go along your way, as you go to work this week, as you go to school, as you go play sports, as you go and do activities and have interactions with other human beings, as you go, make disciples. How? You're going to baptize them. They're going to make a faith decision in Jesus Christ, and you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you're not done then. After that, you're going to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you in Scripture, all the teachings of Jesus. You're going to show them how to walk in the ways of Jesus and how the Holy Spirit is going to come alongside of them and help them walk in all of the ways of Jesus. Because the plan from the very beginning was to make disciples, right? That's the marching orders. And the reason we teach them to obey everything he's commanded them is because those disciples need to make disciples. Who make disciples? Who make disciples? Who make disciples? And this has been going on since really the book of Acts in the early church, even into this room today. There's generation after generation has made disciples who made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And that is how the word and the love of God is spread to the entire world. It's through the good news about Jesus Christ. Today, as we conclude our hometown series, and we're talking about, we've been talking for several weeks about loving where you live, I want you to understand that the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, 20, those are our marching orders. I don't know if any of you have ever had, have been a part or had the privilege of being a part of a commissioning ceremony. A lot of times it's something they do in the military. I know they did it in the past. I don't know how much they do it today. But when you went to a commissioning service or a commissioning ceremony with the military, that's where you got your marching orders. And they would say, okay, this is so-and-so, and this is their rank, and this is where we're going to station them, and they're going to do this job and try to accomplish this mission for the United States military, for the United States Armed Forces. And it would be a commissioning. This is kind of our commissioning from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says, hey, you're, you're going to go into all the world, and as you go along your way, you're going to make disciples. And you're going to baptize them, and you're going to teach them to obey everything I commanded you so that they will become a disciple like you who will make another disciple who will make a disciple who will make a disciple. And yet, it seems like sometimes there's this sense that we're not on that mission as Christians. That, 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 was, that was the great suggestion, not the great commission. 
I think it just brings us to a challenging question this morning that you have to ask yourself is, you know, am I on mission with God? Am I on mission with God? Am I actually doing the work of the gospel that I hear so much about and read so much about in the scriptures? Am I sharing the good news about Jesus and what he's done for me and how he has saved me to, and, and offering that to others who are lost and far from him? Am I inviting people to, to share in God's church and the fellowship that happens there and the edification of the body of Christ? Am I, am I inviting people to the, to the outreach events of the church? Am I inviting people into my own personal life so they can see Christ in me? We have a job to do. You have orders, but are you doing it? Because our job is to make disciples. It seems like if you really boil it down, we just have one job, right? What's well, just one thing, make disciples. But there's some people that have struggled with that over time. I've got a few of these just to illustrate this point that we're going to show on the screen this morning. Just some, some things, you know, they had one job, right? And they don't want to mess it up. So here's one. Think, do it right the first time, plan ahead. Plan ahead. They didn't plan ahead. Maybe, maybe this one will resonate with you. It's a school-free drug zone, okay? I think it was actually to be a drug-free school zone, but when you, yeah, when you get those flipped, it means something totally different, doesn't it? What about this one? College. Clearance to Target, and we know why. And if you don't get that one, then just Google it, and it'll probably show you what you're missing there. Um, you know, when we have the basketball package, and we put the rackets in there, you had one job, and you missed it. Uh, how, about, how about the juicy bacon? And we put all the juice underneath the juicy bacon sign. Yeah, I kind of messed that up. Or if you're painting the fire lane, which we just had done here. And all of the fire lanes around the church, they all say spelled the right way. But uh, yeah, you might want to check the spelling on that. I don't know what to say on that one. Go Team Og. Yeah. Sometimes when you win, you get thirst place. Instead of third or first, you get thirst. So uh, sometimes if you work at Taco Bell, you got the taco, you got the meat in it, and the cheese and the lettuce are on the side, I guess. If, I mean, I'm thinking you could get that in there. Or you're trying to teach kids how to count in a children's book, you know, got five bananas. There's six bananas on the page. I mean, come on. How did that get printed? Or when you're installing the new door handles at the church, and you install it, and that looks really permanent, doesn't it? That doesn't look like that's coming off anytime soon. So... Or if you got a bag of ice and you're selling it as a bag of popcorn, you know, come on. You just have one job. How about that one, okay? You're trying to, it's a drain. You put it lower than everything else around it. No, you know, put it up a little too high. And then, of course, my, my favorite is the do not enter, enter only door, okay? What do you do when you come to that door? Nobody knows, right? So it, it's crazy. I mean, you think about this and we laugh and we giggle at that. You know, it's kind of like, hey. You just had one job, right? You just had one thing to do. How can you possibly mess it up? And church, let's admit, those are funny things. But we have one job. We've been put on mission by God to share the gospel with other people. We have marching orders. And yet are we doing it? Is the world maybe even looking at us and laughing and saying, he just had one job. You know, I think sometimes that I've struggled with the why. You know, why, why do we need to evangelize? Why do we need to share our faith? Why do we not reach out? Why do we not invite? I think when sometimes it's, we, we, we lack this motivation. We need to really consider that. 
Let's look in the scripture this morning and see how we can be challenged. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, if you have your Bible, turn there, Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 35 through 38. If you're using one of our Bibles this morning uh, that's been provided for you, turn it to page 814. 814, you'll be right there, and you can always follow along in the app. There's all the scripture and bullet points and everything there for you. Matthew 9, Matthew 9, 35 through 38, right at the end of chapter 9, and Jesus has been teaching. You have to understand he's uh, really popular in, in, in these chapters in Matthew. Uh, he's got thousands of people following him, uh, waiting on his every word. He's done some miracles. He's, he's healed people. He's, he's just uh, loving on people, and he's showing them, he's pointing them to the kingdom of God. And he gets to this part, and, and, and toward the end of this, he gathers his disciples, and he says something that's really critical for our understanding and maybe a challenge to you this morning. Begin with verse 35, it says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, just these crowds of people, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want you to think for a second there, who are they harassed and helpless, made helpless by? Who's harassing them? Who's making them helpless? It's, it's Satan. It's his work. He wants them to be lost, right? He comes to steal and kill and destroy. And so he's going to steal, kill, and destroy anything that God wants in our life. And so they, Jesus had compassion for these people because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They, they, they need a savior. They need a leader that's going to guide them and protect them just like sheep need a shepherd. And then we get to verse 37. And then he turns to his disciples after noticing these things and he says this. The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, I think you looked at all the crowds there. Jesus did, and he had compassion on them. And, and he was saying to them, you know what? These people are lost, and they need me. And it's, it's, it's interesting and critical to understand that. Then he looks at the disciples at the end of this, and he says, hey, look out. The harvest is plentiful. And folks, if it were talking to us today, say, hey, Enid's got lots of lost people. The harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of people out there. If we called everybody out into the streets, you'd find, you know, 52, 53,000 people in the streets. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the ones that are actually making disciples, those are few. I think as he looked at this, you know, this ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors, he was letting them know, you know what, this is a mission for you, but it's a mission for more than you. It's a mission for all of those who will follow me, all of those who will call on my name. The harvest is always going to be plentiful. But the people that will actually do the mission seems to be few. And then he says to them, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out those laborers into the harvest field so that there will be a harvest of souls for the kingdom of God. And that's what we're to be about. That's what we're to do as Christians. You know, I don't think the key issue is seeing the harvest. I don't think that the key issue is praying for the harvest. I think that sometimes the key issue is that we need to care more about the harvest. I think the problem is maybe we don't care enough about what God cares about. I mean, do we really care 
The problem is, is that the gospel, I think, when we're around it so much and, and we think about it and we, we know that we have eternal life and that, that we are secure in our eternity, that we think sometimes that people have just denied it. We, we, we think, oh, these people, they, they don't really get it, you know. We, we kind of uh, make this assumption, well, they, you know, they, they've heard about it, but they haven't really done anything uh, about it. Uh, but think with me for a minute here. How many people have you shared the gospel with? How many people have you actually sat down and you've talked to about Jesus? And if you did that, do you think these people would feel like you care? Or would they be like, ah, they don't really care about me? You see, sometimes I think it's a lack of care. But sometimes I also think it's a fear of lost people. Fear of people that are different than us. They have different set of morals, different set of values, different set of beliefs. Or maybe they have no beliefs at all, according to the latest surveys. Maybe they have no morals and no values. And even though we read in Scripture that Jesus had compassion for them and that He loved them, and we read in other places of Scripture that He died for them, that He hung out with them for sure and told them about the coming kingdom of God, we don't. You see, sometimes I think as Christians we get so concerned about um, purity, and I think sometimes it's even faux purity, that, you know, oh, we want to be perceived as holy, and so we get concerned about keeping our snow white hands rather than having a red hot heart for lost people and so we make this big deal as christians that hey i'm just going to make sure that i don't cuss smoke drink chew go out with people who do but then i think sometimes you know what that's not what jesus did jesus would go to those people and hang out with those people and have a conversation with those people and tell them show them their sin show them the need for grace and for the love of jesus in their life and yet, you know, we're kind of the type of people that sometimes, well, we just don't want to interfere. You know, I just don't want to interfere in their lives. You know, they're, they're really, really busy. And, and I, I just don't want to interfere and help them understand the love and the grace of Jesus. But here's my question this morning. If you don't, and probably already this morning, someone has popped into your mind. If you don't tell them, then who will? If you don't tell them, who will? The harvest is plentiful. The people are out there. They need to hear the message. Well, the workers, the ones that actually will do the mission of the Lord, are few. You know, Jesus hasn't come back in physical form yet, but he is coming. And I, I find it really rather alarming that if in the scripture and in the first century uh, church and the first century apostles really believe that he is coming soon, then if we're in the 21st century now, I think he's even coming sooner. Well, what? Why is the Lord slow in keeping His promise of Jesus coming? It says it in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but He is patient toward you, not wishing that any of His children should perish, but that all should reach repentance and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You want to know why I think Jesus hasn't come yet? It's because He wants more of His children and more of the lost and more of those outside of Christ to have the opportunity to make a faith decision and to be in heaven someday. So what should true Christians do to reach out to the lost around us and to love where we live? What can we do? What are some, some steps of action that we wouldn't be a people, that we started this with week one, uh, you know, five, six weeks ago. It, it is, is not, you know, we'd be merely hear the word, but we would do what it says. We wouldn't deceive ourselves by me, be, being merely hearers of the Scripture, but we'd actually put those things into action that we hear. We'd actually 
take something like Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we actually put it into action and take it seriously and have a heart that burns for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to offer you a few suggestions this morning. And the first one is this. I will decide to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. That you're actually going to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. If you read the book of Acts, you see this example of Peter and and of Paul, the church leaders, the ones that are planning the churches. And you see it really in all the disciples, all the apostles, and even into the early church. That they were under stress and they were under pressure from being persecuted like literally for their faith in Jesus. They were being threatened. Even their lives were being threatened because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, they chose to say something when it would have been much easier for them to say nothing at all. And they were threatened even to not, specifically, to not speak in Jesus' name anymore. In Acts chapter 4, verse 2, it says this. This is talking about the Sanhedrin. And they're talking about these disciples and the apostles of Jesus and what they're doing. And it says that they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were greatly disturbed by that. You see, they're trying to keep order and they're trying to keep structure and they're trying to keep everything under wraps. They're trying to keep this critical relationship with Rome and the Roman occupation at that time. And so they were greatly disturbed because these disciples and these apostles are going around telling people about the love of Jesus and proclaiming that He resurrected from the dead. You have to understand that was so fresh for them. This wasn't something that happened 400 years ago or 40 years ago. At that time, this had happened like 45 days ago. Jesus had died. Everybody saw it. He was crucified on the cross of Calvary. He was laid in a tomb and you could at that time walk over the tomb and go, it's empty. He's not there anymore and no one knows where he is. But he showed himself after the resurrection to 500 witnesses. Those 500 people said, we've got to tell somebody about this. This man who we whipped and beat and tore up and, and tortured and killed rose from the dead. And they wouldn't be quiet. They wouldn't be silent when it would have been easier to say nothing. They decided to say something. And, and a little bit later in Acts chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, uh, more, more of this story. It says, it says this, But to stop this thing from spreading any further amongst the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. This is the warning that came from the Sanhedrin to the apostles of Jesus. And then it says, and then they called them in again and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. If you read just a few verses down from that in verse 21, it says that they were threatened further. It says in, that, in the beginning of that verse, it says, after further threats, they continued to spread the gospel and to tell people about the love for Jesus. And if you read the whole story, Acts 3, 4, 5, you read everything that's happening in those chapters, you see everything that's happening with, with Peter and, and with John. I mean, you, 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 you get this sense that they, they were really on fire. That this was mission critical. That they decided this was the only way to save the world. And that there's nothing that's going to stop us. Because we have Jesus and His resurrection power on our side. We have to say something to people. And they chose to say something sometimes even when it threatened their life. And they were bold and they said something even when it was uncomfortable. It would have been easier to say nothing, but they decided that Jesus' love for people was worth it. 
and the opportunity to fill heaven, the opportunity to meet Jesus and to be saved was worth their efforts. You say, well, what drove them to this? It was just what Jesus had. What we read about in the verses before. He looked over the crowds and he had compassion on them. They had a genuine concern and compassion for lost people. The same motivation that Jesus showed when he went to the cross. You see, the apostles at the time, they were not rebelling against the Sanhedrin. They weren't trying to stir up things in Jerusalem. They were simply trying to reach lost people in the saving name of Jesus Christ. What would our city look like? What would our church look like? A year from now, if everybody right now would say, you know what? I'm going to step up and I'm going to do that. I'm going to decide to say something when it would be much easier to say nothing at all. I'm going to take the opportunity and I'm actually going to say something. I'm actually going to have that gospel conversation. And we're not talking something that you know is so out there. We're just talking about telling them about what Jesus has done in your life. Tell them about your salvation experience. Tell them about the life before Christ when you were lost and dying without Him. And tell them about your life in Christ Jesus. The second thing that I think that we should do, and I think we should resolve ourselves to do this, is we, we should make this statement. I will take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. I'll take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. So many of us say, well, I'm going to pray about it or I'll think about it, but I want us to actually take action. I want Christians who have a bias for action because this is what Jesus asked of us. He didn't say, hey, sit in holy huddles and pray about it. He said, I want you to go. I want you to take action. I want you to make disciples. I want you to get out there. I want you to share the good news. I want you to tell people. And what's awesome about God is he gives us opportunities. And here's the fact. You have opportunities this week that I'll never have. I don't work where you work. I don't rub shoulders with the people that you rub shoulders with necessarily. You have a unique personal relationship with everybody that you come into contact with this week. You have an opportunity that no one else in this room will have. Because no one else in this room has the exact circle of friends and relationships and acquaintances that you have. And so, I don't know about you, but that's really a challenge. But it's also very encouraging. That God would use you uniquely in your set of circumstances. And then when he puts those opportunities before you, that you would actually take advantage of every opportunity. That you would take advantage of every conversation. Every opportunity to pray with someone. Every opportunity to serve just right where you're at. We had this verse of Scripture last week, James 4.17. says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And sometimes I think we commit the sin of silence, don't we? Maybe the sin of avoidance. Well, I'm going to act like I didn't see him. I'm not going to start the conversation. Just avoid it. Maybe it's the sin about not caring about another human being's eternal future. Not caring enough to say something when we could say nothing at all. To start a conversation. To invite them to church or to your small group. To invite them to an opportunity to meet and hear about Jesus. Because you will have unique opportunities that no one else will ever have. And I wonder about your responsibility then. 
I mean, wouldn't it be horrible if someday we're standing before the Lord in judgment and there's people that show up that we look and we're like, man, I know, I know them. Huh, I haven't seen them in a long time. I worked with him for like 30 years. And when God passes that final judgment, and, and, and I know all the books and the movies out that are now, you know, heaven is for real and heaven this and that. Yes, heaven is absolutely for real, 100%, 110%. But if you believe that heaven is for real, believe that hell is for real as, as well. Because it is. And that people actually go there if they don't know Jesus Christ. And you can say, well, I don't believe in loving God. It's like God is also a God of justice. And he's laid out before us every opportunity. Can you imagine what it would be like to be standing there and to have someone turn to you and say, why didn't you tell me? We worked together for 30. Well, I just thought you were busy. I thought you wanted me to mind my own business. And you didn't want to. Why didn't you tell me? At least give me the opportunity. See, I think we're in a trap here in America. I think we think that everybody's heard the gospel in America. And honestly, I would say probably when I was five years old, that might have been true. I don't know a single kid in any of my classes in all of elementary school that didn't know what a Bible was. Or they had never heard the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, we were at one point a Christian nation. We had Christian morals and Christian values. But I think it would be really, really naive of us to say that's where we're at today. With the blatant paganism and materialism and everything that's going on in our world today. To assume that, oh yeah, everybody's heard of Jesus. And I'll give you an example of this. I got an email this week just from Hunter Ritchie, sports and outreach director over in the Oak, and he's talking about upwards basketball, and he's talking about people sign up, and he had, he had somebody uh, sign up this week, uh, a, a, little, a little boy, and uh, through talking to him, he said, you know, at, at upwards, we're, we're going to have some, you know, some times where we do devos, and we're going to read scripture from the Bible, and he's like, you know, do you have a Bible? And he's like, I don't have a Bible. He's like, well, let me get you a Bible, and so he ran, ran over, got him a Bible, brought it back to the kid, and said, you know, I want you to have this I want you to read it, and you don't have to wait for basketball to start. You can read it now. And, and I want you to bring it to basketball with you and, and I, you know, start this relationship. Start playing these seeds of eternity, the wisdom and the truth and the love of God shown throughout his word. And you think, wow, that's, you know, that's really cool, but this kid didn't have, have a Bible. And then, they, and then he said he went over to his family and had a couple younger siblings. And the, and the younger siblings are like, what is a Bible? They didn't even heard the word. They didn't even know what it was. For us to assume that everybody in Enid has heard the gospel, that everybody in Enid knows Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that everybody knows the story of Jonah and the story of Job and the story of other J's in the Scripture like Jesus, we are being absolutely naive because there's a whole lot of people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've never been presented the opportunity of a relationship with Him. And the sad fact is, is that some of those people, you're the only one. You're the missionary. You're the one that God has called. And if you were to pray to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? You know what he's going to say? I told you. Make disciples. Who make disciples. Who make disciples. And do it like they did in the first century church with a fire. So that, that it can pour even into the next generation. And the next generation of Christians. Because if we don't, Christianity is always just one generation from extinction. We have to make the most of all of our opportunities. And you're going to go out from this place today, and maybe even some of you today, you have to work, and you're going to go out, and you're going to be in a circumstance and a situation 
where you need to make the most of that opportunity. You need to make the most of the opportunities that present themselves. Take advantage of those and understand that God is going to be with you. He's going to give you everything he needs. Scripture says you have everything you need. We read about that last week. That all grace would abound for all good works at all times in all places. He's going to be with you. That's why at the end of the Great Commission, what did Jesus say? Hey, and I'm going to be with you always as you go make disciples. I'm going to be with you always, even to the very end of the age. You're not going to just do this in your own power, some human effort. You're going to do it with me. And the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead, the same power that we can call on in our lives, that God's going to enable us through his Holy Spirit to talk to people about him. We need to do it. The third thing this morning, and the last thing, is we, we, we need to really resolve ourselves to this. I will strategically create opportunities for interaction with non-believers. I'm going to strategically create opportunities for interactions with non-believers. Some of us, we pray about those opportunities, and God brings them to us. Some of us, we don't need to just pray. We actually need to do something to make that happen. Because we have this tendency that the longer you're a Christian, the more your friends and your circles become Christians, and sometimes we have to really seek opportunities for interactions with non-believers, okay? This happens, this happens a lot in a pastor's family, because I'm around Christians all the time. I mean, I talk to Christians, I pray with Christians, we do Christian studies, I'm around the church all the time, and I'm just, you know, around Christians all the time. And if I'm going to have any interaction with non-believers or any interaction with the lost outside of here, I've got to be strategic about it. And so that's why, you know, we, we've got a couple of kids in public schools, that's why we, we, we see that as our mission field. That's one place where I interact with people that have a completely different set of beliefs, sometimes a completely different set of morals and values. They don't know Jesus Christ. And so Amy and I, we try to take advantage of that. That's why we're on every PTA. We serve at our schools. We love on teachers. And what's cool about it is God has opened these doors of opportunity that someone's had the opportunity to pray with people. I was at Open House at Hayes just, a, just about a month ago, uh, my, my daughter's elementary school. And it was really cool because it wasn't even a teacher. It was just a student's parent that we just pass each other in the halls for so many years and have conversations that uh, she had had a diagnosis for her son. It's very, very troubling. And, and, and she came up and she just started crying. And it's kind of like she knew, you're a Christian. You're, you're a safe place. And she's like, would you pray for my son? It's like, would, would, you, would you pray for him? Because we just found out he got diagnosed with this. And you could just see the anguish. You could just see the desperation. Make the most of, of every opportunity. And sometimes when you're at your job or at the soccer field or whatever, you're going to actually need to take a step further and create some opportunities by interacting with some people. You need to trust God that you're going to meet someone and that they're going to be the one that you need to disciple. They're going to be the one that you need to win to Him. And they need to hear your heart. And they need to hear your story. And you need to take time to meet with them and to share your life with them. Share your life before Christ and share your life after you have accepted Him as Lord and Savior. Tell them about the difference that He's made in your life. Tell them about the fellowship of, of people in His church. Tell them about the opportunities for, for interaction with other people that will help them grow in their faith. But I think sometimes when we try to create these opportunities for interaction, we just fear that we're going to bother people. You know, it's like, I just don't want to bother them. Sometimes I think that if we're being honest, we, we think, you know, I, I just have this fear of what they're going to think about me after. Because, you know, I'm trying to climb the coolness ladder at my school district. <laughs> you know, if I, if I go like super Jesus on people, then, you know, that might be a couple rungs down. And so, you know, I, I need to play a little bit safe here. 
You know, we some of us fear what people might think. And they are thinking something that, that is exact opposite of us as Christians sometimes. And we kind of fear that. And so we just decide, well, I'm just going to leave them alone. But sometimes I think it's the opposite way. Sometimes I think they're thinking, they're thinking exact opposite. They're thinking, man, you're a Christian. Man, I wish you would say something to me. You see, Christians talk to them and invite them to church and church services and activities. And Christians try to reach out to them and try to get their kids to VBS and, and, and try to invite them to church camp, try to get them to, to come, be a part of the fellowship of a church. And I don't find too many people be like, would you stop inviting me? Can you just keep that to yourself? I think we think that as Christians about that they're thinking the whole time we're inviting them. Dude, I don't want to hear about this. Just keep it to yourself. But many times, they're actually begging for the opportunity to connect and to find a different way to live their life. The truth is that most Christians do that. Most Christians, they're not going to bother you. You probably work around some Christians right now, and you have no idea that they're believers. You have no clue that they're Christians because they've never told you that, you're, that they're a Christian, and you've never told them that you're a Christian because you're a private Christian. <laughs> I laugh when I say that term because I had somebody in the church one time tell me, well, I'm a private Christian. I'm like, really? Where do you read that in Scripture? So the private Christians, like their marching orders are just to sit and be quiet or just to sit and be holy. That's what I do. I just sit in the pew and I'm holy. It's like, where do you read that in Scripture? I never heard of the private Christian. Some of us, I think we go a step further and some of us are just secret Christians. We don't want anyone to know our secret, Jesus and you play golf with some people, there might be some secret Christians, maybe on the baseball team or maybe at the PTA, but they're secret Christians because they really don't want to bother you with the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. I don't want to have to talk to you about your eternal destination. I want to talk to you about that when you get to the end of your life, it's the only thing that will matter, the only thing. Go to a hospital. Go to someone that is dying and ask him what's the most important thing to you right now what's going to happen what's going to happen when i pass away and we are called to make disciples and to offer them the love and the grace of jesus not just as fire insurance for the rest of their life but so they can experience the love of christ and the joy of a saved life today be honest this morning are you struggling with that? Are you struggling with sharing that? Because here's the fact. There's some of us that actually believe John 3.16 with all of our heart, with every fiber of our being. John 3.16, you'll see it at some of the football games if you watch them today. They still hold the signs out, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die for us. That whoever would believe in him and place their faith in him would have eternal life. Whoever would place their faith in him would not perish and, and, and face eternal death, but would have eternal life in Christ Jesus. And because of that, it really matters to us. Because we want everybody to have the opportunity to respond. And you may say, why? Why does it matter? Why is this such a big deal? Okay, here's the fact. Here's the bottom line this morning. Everyone spends eternity somewhere. Everyone spends eternity somewhere. Let that sink in to your soul for a moment. Let that stir in your heart about those family members that 
you haven't talked to. Let that stir in your heart a moment, the people at work, that you felt like you should say something, but it's really been easier not to say anything at all. I just don't know how they're going to respond. I think I'm weird. And I, I'll never forget uh, Penn Gillette, the, the guy that's in Las Vegas and does the shows, and you know, he's an atheist, a very you know, loudmouth atheist. I, I'll never forget that he said in a, in a video testimony one time about a Christian coming to him and offering him a Bible, and he was so moved by it, he made this video about it. I just remember one point in there, he says, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them? I mean, if you really believe there's a heaven and you really believe there's a hell and you actually believe that people could go there, how bad do you have to hate them not to want to tell them about how to avoid hell and how to make it to heaven? And he gave this illustration. He said, if, if someone is like standing in the road and there's this, this semi-truck coming toward them, and it's bearing down on them, and it's, it's at this high rate of speed. And you know in your mind, they have to get out of the way now. If they don't get out of the way, they're not going to make it. At one point, at some point, most humans will, will at least yell something at the person, say, get out of the way. Move, get out of the street. They'll, they'll say something. But then there's this point where many of us, maybe not all of us, but many of us, we actually take physical action. We will start running toward that person. And what we'll do is we'll try to tackle them and drag them out of the way. If, you know, we may just try to grab our arms around them and turn around, throw them out of the way. We're going to do something because the, the, the situation is so desperate. How much more important is it that when they get to the end of their life, it's eternal life in heaven or eternal life in hell? How much more important is that? And yet, we don't do anything about it. The harvest is plentiful. The people are out there. And many more of them than we want to admit are ready to receive the gospel. But the laborers, the laborers are few. What would our church look like if the laborers weren't few? If we all took serious the mission of Jesus. You know, some of the people that are out there, they do have a bad attitude toward God and this church. And honestly, it's our fault. It's because we're not doing our job out there or maybe even for the fact that we're not doing our job in here. And Christians should be the kindest, most unselfish, loving, faithful, self-controlled, well-mannered, even-tempered group of people that you've ever met. The finest group of people you'd ever want to associate with is not some, some club or civic organization or some group. It's actually Christians. And for a lot of people, they do see us that way. But I understand that some don't. Fact is, that if you're one of those that's lost and out in the world, you may not want to become one of us right away, but it's really weird because in surveys it says that they would like to work for a Christian. Interesting. Then when their kids become adults, they would like for their child, their son or daughter, to marry a Christian. Hmm. Very interesting. So they would want to work for one of us. They'd want their kids to marry one of us. They might not want to become one of us because they haven't heard and they don't understand. They haven't been shown the love and concern from your life for their existence in this world. And we would, it would be good, it would, it would behoove us for the mission that if we would live in such a way and share in such a way that it would be really hard to find yourself in hell at the end of your life. It would be extremely difficult if you had an encounter with a Christian. And these things should matter to us because of the love of Jesus. And if it doesn't, and you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I'm feeling really unmoved by all of this. 
I, I just don't feel touched by all this, then I have to ask you this morning, what is wrong? And if I were to guess, it's because your heart is far from him. It's because you need to repent right now of not only apathy in your life, you need to, to repent of what Paul talks about in the New Testament, the sin that so easily entangles us, the distractions of this world. And if you're feeling rather unmoved and untouched by all this, think about, am I far from God this morning? Am I running away from his call on my life? Because when I think about Jesus on the cross of Calvary and I think about his sacrifice, that is motivation enough to talk to anybody about Jesus. And because of that, this should matter to us. That that same compassion that Jesus had when he looked out on the crowds, the same compassion that Jesus had, do you remember when he was riding the donkey into Jerusalem? We call it Palm Sunday, and all the crowds were waving the leaves and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And everybody's kind of worshiping him. And Jesus, it says, he gets up on this hill, and he's about to go down and, and to enter into Jerusalem. And he begins to weep. He's weeping at the praise parade. I mean, he's finally getting his accolades. I think the disciples are standing around going, yes, finally. People are, they understand he's the son of God. He ought to be celebrated, ought to be honored like this. And Jesus begins to weep. And if you read that part of scripture, he cries out and he says, oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, I wanted to save all of you. I want to save all of you in this city. I want to to gather you to myself like, like a hen gathers its little, little chicks. And we would be family. And we would love one another. And we would turn this world literally upside down. And I wonder if there was a point when, when Jesus was on that donkey and he was weeping, he was having these thoughts about Jerusalem. If he didn't look around him, he looked at those 12 ordinary men and said, you guys have got to do this for me. I'm going to die this week. I'm going to be whipped and beaten and torn apart. And they're going to hang me on a cross. And they're going to crucify me. And they're going to kill me. And they're going to throw me in a tomb. And the only way the love of God is going to get out from this tomb is when I resurrect from the dead and you take the mission seriously. Invite. Invest in their lives. And be a person that can really truly make a difference of the difference that Christ has made in you. Please pray with me. Lord God, we just pray that we would take serious the mission, the Great Commission. God, we pray that the Great Commission wouldn't be something that becomes the great omen.